Thank you, worship team. Good morning, everybody. Well, it's good to be together in the house of God. And um, as we open God's word, if you turn to Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, we'll continue our study through this incredible book, incredibly challenging book, as we'll find out in a couple minutes here. But before we try anything, um, let's ask God to teach us. Our Father, we thank you for your words. We know them to be true. We've experienced the power of them working in our lives. Lord, we thank you for this moment that as we come before your word, we know it's true. We pray you change us by it. We pray, God, we not approach your word as some textbook or some fictional book, but God, we'd approach it as it is the word of God. We do it soberly and humbly, praying your word would just have its work in our life the way you would desire. It seemed often when you shared your word, you said to your people, Lord, that they would have ears to hear. Might we this morning in this place, maybe those listening on a CD or DVD, Lord, might all of us have ears to hear this morning. For it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Last night, um, we were watching the slam dunk contest. That's fun. NBA players, and they get creative with their dunks, and, and uh, they're jumping over mascots, and, and they're doing 360s and trying to take off from the free throw line. It's just very creative, very fun. And, uh, but what's unique about this contest is they have five judges, and they're judging the dunks. And uh, early on, they had a couple sevens, and you had tens, and a nine sprinkled here and there. And these judges evaluated these dunks. Evaluated these performances, gave scores. This morning I have a question for you, not how are the dunks you have, but how is your worship? If your worship was judged, what score would you get? That's really what the judge is saying to his hearers this morning. I'm judging your worship. I see it. I see not only the outside, God says I see the inside. Now, before I go any further, I I realize there's a perception when I say the word worship. The thing that immediately jumps in our mind is coming into this building and singing, right? I mean, it's natural. But God's word says worship is a whole lot more than that. It's how we respond to his word. It's how we live our life. It's the decisions we make. The standards we live by all add up to a life of worship. God's concerned about that for obvious reasons, because worship is about him. And so I want to walk through this text, because there's a lot that it teaches you and I about how to have dynamic worship in our life. Now, I've defined worship simply this. It's an active response to God, whereby we declare his word. An active response could be by the way we work in the marketplace, by the way we study, by the way we come this morning corporately. By the way, when we open God's word, how we respond to it. Worship is an active response by where we declare God's word. It's not a mood, but a response. It's not just a feeling, it's a declaration. It's a response. And so you could come into this place, or you could come sit around God's word in your dining room table, or you could go and minister in some capacity and have a bad attitude or be in a bad mood. 
and not worship God. You could even come to worship service or come to serve God in some capacity and feeling down and didn't have the best day and you don't feel like your emotions are there and still truly worship God. So let's see what God says about this. Chapter 1, verse 6 through 10. Here's what he says to his hearers. The son honors his father and his servant his master. Then if I am a father, where's my honor? If I'm a master, where's my respect, says the Lord of hosts. To you, O priests, who despise my name, but you say, how have we despised your name? You're presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, how have we defiled you? In that you say the table of the Lord is to be despised. But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Why not offer that to your governor? Would, it be, would he be pleased with you? Or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? But now, will you not entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us? With such of an offering on your part, will he receive any of you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates, that you might not usefully kin- uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering for you. God's saying, I've looked and I've seen your worship or your acts. I'm not giving you a 10. I'm not even giving you a 1. I'm not pleased. And to these servants, these priests now, to those who were closest to the sacred things in the temple, who were the ones who had, they were the ones who had defaulted in the most central purpose to honor and respect God. How specifically did they do this? Well, we tell right away, he says, you've despised my name. You've despised my name. What does that mean? Well, if you're like most people, the first question you ask when you meet someone for the first time is, what's your name? person's name sets him or her apart from the crowd as a distinct individual. People appreciate being called by their own name. Dale Carnegie once wrote that a person's name is the sweetest and most important sound in any language. And if someone's name is the sweetest sound, then maybe we could say the worst sound is the mispronunciation of that name. And you know, and just like I do, when you're getting a call from a telemarketer or a solicitor by name, they mispronounce your name. And you know, this person's not here. They're not a personal relationship with this person. Because it's, it's bad to mispronounce someone's name. But what's worse than mispronouncing someone's name is to mispronounce someone's name and you know them well. You've had a relationship with them. You've been around them for a while. God's name was not simply an identity tag. God's name says something of his character. It's a revelation of his true, bring, of his true being. The priest dishonored. They mispronounced his name by treating him much lesser. God says, you've despised my name. You see, because worship involves a dynamic respect for God. A dynamic honoring of God's name. Now, if you look at verse 6, the first point he makes is, God says the son honors his father, a servant his master. His hearers would agree with this. They would agree with this first point. Until the statement's used to reveal their attitude. Yeah, a son's supposed to honor his father. Yeah, a, master, a servant is master. Yeah, we, we would agree with that. And God says, but you're not honoring me. 
as your father or as your master. Deuteronomy 32.6 said God was the father of Israel. He was a creator. He led Israel. He trained Israel. Indeed, he was master of them. He was a father. God says, you've not honored me as your father. You've not honored me as your master. Now, it's interesting, the end of verse 6. I remember last time I mentioned there's, there's seven times in the book of Malachi where the people say, how have we? In each case, they're challenging a statement of God. They're doing it again here. God said, if you despise my name, they're like, the priests are like, how? It's like, what? How have we despised your name? They're challenging God's statement. And so they don't even know what God's talking about. They're so far removed from what worship is supposed to be, they don't even know what God's talking about. Now, Levi's tribe, these priests, as we read throughout the Old Testament, were chosen by God. These were the true priests of worship. They came on behalf of the people before God. They inquired of God, and they sought God, and they brought these offerings of worship. They had incredible privilege to deal with the sacred as they approached God. And from the divine vantage point, they should have regarded their service of the priesthood as a gift, a priceless gift, because of all the people, they were able to approach the holy place. They could draw near to God. But verse 7, God says, you're presenting defiled food upon my altar. In other words, you've treated what is sacred as ordinary. Now we're getting close to home. How do you treat that which is sacred? You say, what are you talking about? God's word, we're told, is sacred. Corporate worship is sacred. The body of Christ is sacred. Marriage is called sacred. Sex is called sacred. How are you treating the sacred? Are you treating it as ordinary? Are you looking around the culture and letting the culture define what sacred is? When we allow the culture to define marriage, to define sex, we're allowing culture to define what is sacred. And we're allowing the culture to treat what is sacred as ordinary. God says, that's a sin, and I'm displeased when you treat that which is sacred like it's ordinary. When we come to corporate worship and we treat it as some performance or like we're coming to ball game, we're carrying in popcorn and just enjoying the time, we're treating what's sacred as ordinary. God says, I'm not pleased with that. Now it's getting quiet in here. <laughs> I mean, Malachi's hitting some pretty personal stuff, hitting some really specific things. Now there's verse 8, we have some more questions to drive home the point. God says, when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? When you present the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Or as God says, the lame and the sick among your, your animals, you would get rid of. And now what you're saying is, let's get rid of them, let's get rid of them to God. We're going to get rid of them anyways, we might as well pretend we're worshiping and we've got to bring something to worship anyways we need to bring an offering let's let's pick this this one who's blind this one who's lame so god says i'm displeased by that what the and, and what's interesting there's a question about a governor that comes out why not offer that to your governor would he be pleased with you you see that question about the governor really strikes at the loss of an honor for god was it wrong to sacrifice defective animals Absolutely. Deuteronomy 15, 21 says that. But God's really concerned over the apathetic manner they went about offerings. 
God's concerned about their total disregard for his standards. They'd become sloppy. They no longer sought to honor his name or respect his name. And so they brought leftovers. A study was conducted at a theological seminary in the United States. A theological seminary in the United States. And through this survey, which was anonymous, they didn't have to put their names, 93% of the people said they had no personal worship time or devotions. 93% in a theological seminary decided to say, God, we're going to give you the leftovers of our time. We're not even going to spend time with you during the day. When you and I don't spend time with God during our day, in prayer, and as we open the word, we're saying to God, you know what? If I have time, I'll give it to you. But man, have we all been guilty, right? We'll come to devotional life and personal times with God. We've said, I don't have time. I've got to get to work by this time, and I've got to get to hear in what God is saying. You seem pretty eager to be prompt for your boss. You seem pretty eager to give your boss your best attitude. What about me? You're giving me leftovers. You're giving me sloppy time. Try that, giving that to your boss. See how he likes it. God says, you're giving me leftovers. Cindy has a relative. It's her relative, by the way. Who would some send out, sometimes send out birthday cards or, or cards like that to, um, to recognize certain things. But she did something kind of weird. They were leftover cards. She would cross over out like it was probably a card she received and she'd cross out the names. Who does that? And, and you didn't know what to do with it. You're like, you got a card for somebody. What? You know, you didn't know what quite to do with it. And if you were honest, you're like, I mean, don't send me a leftover card. You're better off just, well, not sending me one. Kind of what's God saying. You've given me leftovers. Don't even waste your time. I'm displeased when I get leftovers. Some give your bosses at work your promptness, your neatness, your good attitude, but then you give God attitude. And you give him weary effort. And God says, give those leftovers to the governor. Sure, if we were honest, we could become so nonchalant in our worship. Personal, corporate, we don't come with focus. We don't come with energy. We don't expand an effort to engage our heart and our mind. We just go through the motions. We give better focus and energy at work. We give better focus and energy on our recreation than we do to God. God says, if you're not going to worship me with your heart, if you're going to give me leftovers, just lock up the church. Look at verse 10. Oh, that there would be one among you who would shut the gates, that you might not uselessly kinder fire on my altar. God says, I wish you'd just go up and cancel the service. I mean, if this is what you're going to bring me, just close the doors. You're wasting your time. I'm not even going to hear you. You give me less than you do your boss on Monday. If you're going to give leftovers, just give them to your boss, and let's see how that goes for you. The end of verse 10 could not, could not be clearer. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts. No, no, nor will I accept an offering from you. The Creator speaks to the creation. He loves, and he says, I'm not pleased, for you're failing at the very thing you were created for, and that's to worship me. The very thing you were created, the very purpose of all the things we don't want to fail on, the very thing for which we were created is to honor him and worship him. And God says, at that point, you failed. You've displeased me. 
Now, we don't want to be guilty of this. And so there's three things I want you and I to evaluate ourselves. And just three questions, by way, questions for you to kind of reflect on and say, how am I doing? One is, do you treat the sacred as ordinary? Worship. God's word. The body of Christ. Your relationship with him. Do you treat the sacred as ordinary? The book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 5, Solomon wrote some interesting words. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 1 through 3. Listen to what he says. Guard your steps as you go to the house of God and draw near to listen rather than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they don't even know they're doing evil. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few. For the dream comes through much effort and the voice of a fool through many words. God would say to you and I, guard your steps when you worship me. Don't come foolishly. Don't come carelessly. Come honoring and respecting me. Do not treat me lightly. First one, do you treat the sacred as ordinary? Second one, have you given God leftovers? You know what I mean. Your leftover energy, your leftover time, your leftover resources, your leftover clothes. Doesn't God deserve our best? The priests, the people, they kept the prime of all they had. They kept it for themselves. God got the leftovers. They said, I don't have time. God says, it's not a time issue. That's not what we're dealing with here. Really seem to have time for what you want. Really have time to have for all your hobbies, but what about me? God says, you're giving me the leftovers. Third question. Do you disregard God's standards? I mean, do you sit down around God's word or come on a Sunday morning or serving in some capacity, yet you're walking contrary to his ways? You're living in willful disobedience. Are you careless? Do you disregard his standards? Listen to these scriptures. Romans 12:1. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to present yourselves as living sacrifices, how? Holy and pleasing to God. Okay, if I present myself to God and I do it by striving to live by the standard he set, what's the result? The author says, which is your spiritual worship. You've worshipped God by the way we live our life. When we present ourselves to God and say, I'm yours. Do with me what you want. Use me how you want. God says, no, nah, it's worship. Now we're talking. Psalm 51.6, Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being. Psalm 51.17, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. Do you disregard God's standards? God desires you and I pursue righteousness and truth to live our lives. And when we do, God says, Now you got your worship on. Now we're talking. So you and I, as we consider worship, dynamic worship involves a respect and honor for God. And as we read this text, we realize that it also involves a pure service to God. Verse 11, chapter 1. For from the rising of the sun even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense is going to be offered to my name and a grain offering that is pure. For my name will be great 
among the nations. He goes on, but you are profaning it. In that you say the table of the Lord is defiled, and as for its fruit, its food is to be despised. You also say, my, how tiresome it is. And you disdainfully sniff at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring what was taken by robbery and what is lame or sick, so you bring the offering. Should I receive that from your hand? But cursed be the swindler who has a male in the flock and vows it, but sacrifices a blemished animal to the Lord. For I am great. I'm a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is feared among the nations. Chapter 2, verse 1. And now this commandment is for you, O priests. If you do not listen, and if you do not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts, then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. And indeed, I have cursed them already, because you are not taking it to heart. Behold, I'm going to rebuke your offspring, and I will spread refuse on your faces, the refuse of your feasts, and you will be, ta- and, and you will be taken away with it. It sounds pretty serious. The Levites, these priests, were anointed again for temple service. They were set apart to holiness and devoted to the most sacred of all offices. Yet they neglected their holy calling. I find verse 11 pretty interesting. In the midst of hard truth to the priests, God trumpets the truth that with or without their obedience, he would triumph. And he says all nations, including the Gentiles, would exalt his name. And though Israel's spiritual leaders despised and dishonored God's great name, that did not mean God's plan was in an impasse. God would and could raise up true worshipers for his name. As he says, every place incense is going to be offered up. And the fact that this was going to happen indicated that God was doing far more, something bigger than what Israel had ever seen or imagined. And truly, as we read these verses... Service to such a great God was a privilege, but that's not how they saw it. They described it as wearisome. Look at that in verse 13. Oh, how wearisome it is. How tiresome it all is. Tired. They were weary. The alarm clock went off on a Sunday morning. They said, my, how tired I am. I don't feel like worshiping God this morning. They get up on their Tuesday morning or Or go to bed on Tuesday night and say, man, I've had a full day. I guess I'll have to spend time with God personally tomorrow. Or maybe Thursday, I think I got the afternoon off then. Because how tiresome it is to worship God. How wearisome it is. Man, kickoff's at noon. I got a hockey tournament Sunday morning. I don't have time for this. But we have time for other things. God says, that's not how you worship me. You give me the best. Your time, the best of your time, should be mine. In chapter 2, verse 1 through 3, God's concerned about pure service. certainly is clear there's pretty heavy consequences when they forget serving God's a privilege. When you forget it's a privilege, you know what happens then. It becomes wearisome. Ah, I got to go serve God again. I suppose I should. It becomes wearisome, becomes tiresome. We forget what a privilege we have. It becomes tiresome. Pure service is a positive response to God. It's a positive response to His majesty and glory. It's a readiness to worship Him by actions. Remember who He is. Remember who we're not. 
When you and I serve God out of a pure desire, we worship him. We actively respond to all that he's done in our life by honoring him. How about you and I? How about using your spiritual gifts or sharing Christ or loving others or Sunday morning worship? Is it wearisome to you? Or do you find it as a privilege to worship your king? Because dynamic worship involves a pure service to God. It had gotten so bad. You look at verse 13. You bring what was taken by robbery. That would be like you going out Saturday night, stealing someone's money, coming on Sunday morning, giving it in a worship plate and saying, ah, I've worshipped. That's ridiculous, isn't it? That's what they were doing. I mean, that's horrendous. I mean, you're like, boy, they totally off whack. Yeah, they are, but we sometimes don't get too far from them either. It involves a pure service to God, but dynamic worship also, these uh, scriptures teach us, involves a deepening desire to perpetuate his name. Chapter 2, verse 4 through 9. Then you will know that I have sent this commandment to you, that my covenant may continue with Levi, says the Lord of hosts. My covenant with him was one of life and peace. I gave them to him as an object of reverence. So he revered me and stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth and unrighteousness was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and he turned many back from iniquity. For the lips of the priest should preserve knowledge and men should seek instruction from his mouth for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. But as for you, you've turned aside from the way. You've caused many to stumble by the instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. So I also have made you despised and abased before all the people, just as you are not keeping my ways, but are showing partiality in the instruction. You see, a dynamic worship life has a deepening desire, a growing desire to honor his name, to perpetuate his name. It would be his name that's known. It would be his renown that is our heart's desire. In the chapter, verse 4 through 9, I noticed there's like a change in the tone of rebuke. It's almost like it becomes reflective, historical, as he reflects back on Levi. And what should have been in the covenant arrangement with the Levites was to endure unaltered worship. It was really instructive. And Levi's spoken of ideally here. He's spoken of what the service and worship should have been. But verse 8 then brings it back to his ears. He says, but as for you... You're not at all like that. You're not at all lined up with your calling. You've turned aside, he says. You've caused many people to stumble. You've corrupted. There should have been a deepening desire to perpetuate his name, but that's not at all that was going on. For it was a cry, far cry from their purpose. I think a helpful reference is found in Ezekiel 36. This happens, Ezekiel comes and prophesies while they're in exile. Now understand, that they must have been attentive at that point because they were in a foreign place, far from their identity, far from Jerusalem, far from where the temple was, and Ezekiel comes with this prophecy, Ezekiel 36. Verse 16, then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, when the house of Israel was living in their own land, they defiled it by their ways and their deeds. Their way before me was like the uncleanness of a woman in her impurity. Therefore I poured out my wrath on them for the blood which they had shed on the land because they had defiled it with their idols. Also I scattered them among the nations and they were dispersed throughout the lands according to their ways and their deeds I judged them. 
And when they came to the nations where they went, they profaned my holy name. Because it was said of them, these are the people of the Lord, yet they have come out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations where they went. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you went. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which is profaned among the nations, which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when I prove myself holy among you in their sight. You see, the behavior of the Israelites conveyed the impression that their God was no different from the gods they had. These are the people of the Lord, meaning they certainly don't act like it. They say I'm a follower of God. They say I'm, I'm one of Yahweh's children. But the nations around them are looking at and they're laughing at them. They're profaning my name. And God says, of all people who are right in the middle of it, it's my people. They don't have a deepening desire to perpetuate his name. They're all concerned about their name. You see, it's not about you. It's not about me. Not about our comfort, not about our convenience, not about our schedules. It's about him. No wonder Max Lucado's least selling book was, it's not about me. Apparently, we have a hard time processing that. God's indictment was, you've profaned my name. The word profane is an interesting word. It means stab or wound. The idea of name, again, is reputation, character. You've stabbed, you've wounded my name as people look on. God's response, I pour out my wrath. I disperse them. I judge them. Malachi 2.9, I also made you despised and abased before all people. You see, a recipe for a dynamic worship life for you and I. It involves a deep and dynamic respect and honor for God. It involves pure service where we live by His standards for His glory. It involves a deepening desire to perpetuate his name. And God says, I will still do something if I'm profane today. Because a dynamic worship that seeks to perpetuate his name is when we come to worship, no matter what mistakes you and I have made, never think, we should never think that we're the audience. God's the audience. We come to worship him. As you sit out here, I know there's a temptation, there's a worship team up here. But don't think for a minute you're the audience. God is. And if we have a deepening desire to perpetuate his name, it will be reflected in the way we worship. It will be reflected in Sunday morning. It will be reflected in when you give him priority in your weekly day. It will be reflected in the way you serve him, how you serve him. When people give you praise, you reflect it back to him. And that's what dynamic worship is about. So what's God saying to you? As you listen to this morning, some of you might be mad at me, but some of you might be saying, you know, it was this one point that really hit me. Or it's this one thing, that, this one attitude I've had, or this one scheduling thing I've done, which really is dishonoring to God. I don't know where it is. We're all at different places. But I hope you'll write it down. And I hope you'll cooperate with what God's Spirit wants to do in your life and how He wants to change it.
you ever gone to an airport, I think Jay's going there later today, and uh, you pull up in front, and, and, and they're very adamant, there's no parking here. This is an unloading zone. Don't park here. I went to pick up my brother-in-law one time, and, and there's a guy out there, and he's moving cars along. It's like if you wait for a couple minutes and your, your party's not out, they'll tell you to get out of there. Well, he told Angela and I to get out of there. I wasn't moving. I'm, here, I'm not moving. And, uh, but he was trying to say to me, you're not supposed to park here. You're supposed to unload here. And so Angela and I just snuck up a little, snuck up a little, and, 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 he, and he came, he kept following us, the dirty dog. And he said, you know, get out of here. I'm like, leave me alone. There's all these cars back here. So Angela and I finally saw my brother-in-law. We were kind of pushing it. And, uh, but this guy was adamant. This is not a parking zone. Don't park here. And I don't know, I think sometimes God might think that about us. He says, following me and worship me, is not a, it's not a parking zone. You don't just park yourself somewhere and say, there, I've worshipped. You don't sit, open the, the Bible and just kind of all of a sudden pick up the paper or, or about eating and you're like, well, I opened it. God says, no, you just parked there. You say, well, I come to church on Sunday morning, I show up. No, God says, you just parked in a seat. You didn't do anything. God says, just leave then. You don't belong here parking. This is a place you come worship. Time with God and to worship are sanctuaries. They're for worship. Times with God around the dinner table or in your chair at home, your dining room, those are for worship. Serving other people, that's for worship. It's not for parking. Worship is honoring and growing and serving and changing and perpetuating his name. I'll end as I begin. It's an active response to God. And if you and I want to live a passionate life for God, it certainly involves dynamic worship life. Let's pray. Lord, even as I say those words, let us pray, it almost sounds, I don't know, like not enough. I know so much of this passage really, man, really hits me. Maybe as a pastor and knowing he was speaking to priests almost accentuates it. But even as your follower and your child, aside from that, it challenges me. And I got to believe my brothers and sisters right here, right now, share that challenge, share that conviction. God, please forgive us for running through skipping through life as if we're children on a playground never stopping to pause about what really matters never stopping to give you the honor that you're so worthy of forgive us for the times we took credit forgive us for the times we've treated time with you as an inconvenience forgive us for the times we've come into this place or sanctuaries like it, feeling we've punched the clock. Please forgive us for being so casual about worshiping you. We have no excuse. So God, we have only one response this morning. God, we ask and we seek your forgiveness. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would kindle a fire anew within us. 
Lord, that we would have a desire that's growing and burning within us to honor your name. To perpetuate your name. To declare your name. And to declare your honor and majesty. Holy Spirit, do that within us, I pray. That we would individually and corporately be a people you're pleased with. That you could look at us and smile upon us. That's our desire, God. And Lord, might the way we go about even responding to this, your word this morning, for we know that, that even is an act of worship. Might you be pleased. For it's in Jesus' name I pray.